Working. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Sean. Hello. And this week we have a special guest, yet another uh, former colleague of mine, Emily Denny. Emily, welcome. Hi. It's really, really, uh, I'm excited because I'm a fan. I'm a real, actual fan. Thank you so much. Here I am on the podcast. Uh, do we need to like verify your listening history to verify that you are a fan? I was. <laughs> yeah. You're not in... just shamelessly trying to butter <laughs> us up. If you look at my last year's Spotify wrapped, this was in my top podcast. We like, made it in Spotify wrapped. Wow. This was in my Spotify wrapped. So that you is... must not listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> that is real verifiable information. There's a screen wow. cap on my phone somewhere that it made it. I don't use Spotify, but I would be curious to know. If our show would come up in my Spotify, <laughs> it doesn't come up. I in do mine. listen to it. It doesn't. <laughs> no, because I oh we, like just like quantity wise. Like obviously, I, I re-listen like every week. But just like yeah. there are some podcasts I listen to that produce two episodes a week. So like I'm just we're point. just never gonna hit those numbers. And I, you know, probably I'm not ever. That. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Emily, what's your favorite way to listen to to the podcast? I'm curious. I'm I'm really. It's funny because Tiffany, you and I like bonded over having mutual podcasts but I don't actually listen to a whole lot of podcasts just because I don't have time as we're going to talk about mm -hmm. I I write and edit I work with words for work which I think is what a lot of people do listen to podcasts and mm -hmm. I I cannot I can't listen to anything that has words so I only listen to podcasts when I'm exercising generally ah, I cycle okay. and that's always when I listen to podcasts or if I'm driving, if I'm, if I have like a long car ride, I will queue up mm -hmm. a bunch of podcasts. Really the only podcasts I listen to while <clears throat> not exercising are like my sports podcasts that I only half pay attention to because like half of the time I was like, I don't, I can't possibly keep up with everything going on in the NBA. So I listen to this podcast and I just wait until I hear a story that I actually know about. And I'm like, oh, we can tune back in and oh, yeah. find out what they're saying about something. Yeah, the stakes aren't super high there, so you can kind of yeah. tune in and out. <laughs> yeah, I I listen to podcasts quite a lot throughout the day, like while working or if I'm cleaning or like once a month I groom the dog. And that's like a six-hour process, and it's just like <laughs> nonstop audio. Like my Spotify numbers are bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but one of the reasons we invited Emily or Denny, she she will respond to both, so I will refer to her as both most likely because I kind of flow in and out of both names. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons we wanted to have her on, not only because she is a fan and a friend, but to provide a new perspective on uh, work from an industry that Sean and I are, are not really in. She has like more of a, a creative background. And while we did uh, work together at one of my jobs that I was at, only briefly, um, <laughs> so we like overlapped there. We do and have done very different things. So we're really excited to hear um, the perspective that you have to offer and just about what it's like to be um, in a creative space. Because, you know, Sean and I have talked about, like, we have the occasional creative project, but, like, we are not creatives. Um, so, Denny, if you would, provide us some background. Who are you? How do we know each other? What's your work history like? Um, how, how did we all get here? Yeah. Um, so I'm Emily. I'm a professional writer and editor. I also um, I have a day job where I I work in marketing, PR, um, mostly writing and editing um, blogs, webinars, all kinds of 
boring things. And then on the <laughs> side, I <laughs> I write creatively as well. I write a substack called Food for Humans where I talk about food and cooking in our present increasingly dystopian world where we have to undergo the Sisyphean task of making dinner every night until we die. Um, and I, so I've been writing the subsect for a couple of months now, and it's sort of like my main creative project that I engage with besides working that kind of combines two things I love, which is writing and talking about um, and cooking amazing food. So I sort of put those together into one thing. But my day job is, as you said, in a cre I semi-creative. I think I... It's weird because I would look at somebody who does like graphic design as more creative than me and they would probably say the same thing. Like yeah. they would probably <laughs> they would probably say that like it takes just, you know, it also like they could never do the brain power stuff it takes to do my job the way that I would say I could never do a graphic design mm. job. But I kind of have I I ended up in a creative field I think by accident. Um, so I grew up in New Jersey. I went to college. I got an English degree, which um, is like a professional degree. And I have no idea what I want to do with my life. But yeah. <laughs> something about it was going to involve words. And I graduated college. And I think I pretended to know what I wanted to do. <laughs> I think I, I told people like I was like, I want to work in publishing because that's what that's the romantic idea of you major in English and then you move to New York City and you live in a brownstone that you can't afford and you work in publishing and you go to coffee shops and you meet like a handsome man and fairy um, tale. I fairy tale literally stuff. know yeah. somebody like this. I'm not yeah. kidding you. I'm I not know, I know a real person like this too. Like this. <laughs> and I thought I was like, that's going to be me. That's the only thing you do with an English degree, obviously. <laughs> and I moved home and I really wanted to move to New York City. I was very I was dead set on moving to New York and I applied to jobs for six months and got nothing. Mm. I was applying to jobs being the world's worst freelancer <laughs> by the fact that I was I tell people because I was technically a freelancer for six months. I had odd jobs, but I was more like I was unemployed with style. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was unemployed with flair and I just could not get a job in New York in and it went from, I'm going to look for a publishing job, which was impossible to get. And then I was like, then I'm going to look for a marketing or PR job, which was impossible to get. And then I... Is my it hail, just competitive or... Very competitive. Okay. And I, I think kind I of felt, assumed, but... <laughs> yeah. I didn't do a lot of internships or anything like that. It wasn't something mm -hmm. I was super interested in. I had one internship while in college. And then when it came to applying... It was the people I knew getting jobs in the field or people that had done like three or four mm. and I had done none. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. And my last resort was college admissions, which was I worked in the admissions office in undergrad. I was like, that's something Same. that would be that would be <laughs> <laughs> that would be a job. But I still couldn't find any jobs in New York. And my mother is from Washington, D.C. And she said, can you you should apply to a job in D.C. just to see what happens. And I said, sure, fine. I applied to one job in Washington, D.C., and I got it. <laughs> it was the job that Tiffany and I met at. It was that job. I applied for one job, and I got it. I was I was actually I was in Worcester, Massachusetts, opening a play, very picturesque, very romantic. Ooh. I was opening a play that I had written, and I was in rehearsals. I was, like, sleeping on someone's couch, working in rehearsals for the show that was opening in, like, a week. So I was, like, absolutely freaking out that this was happening. And then I got a call that I got this job. <laughs> And they're like, can you be here in two weeks? I was like, technically, yes, I can. <laughs> and so I said yes, because I was like, 
here it is. And I opened the show. The show closed. I went back to New Jersey. I packed up my car and I moved to D.C. Oh, my God. That was just like it was a total jump off the cliff kind of move, which I wouldn't. I I always I sort of self-styled for a long time as somebody who doesn't do that. But then I looked at my life history when you when I saw like this was one of the questions and I was like, I actually have done this like three or four times where I just like, <laughs> where I just was like and I moved to D.C. I didn't know anybody. I didn't really know the city. I had nowhere to live. Um, I lived with a family member for like and commuted an hour and a half each way oh. for like a year and then moved into the city. But now it's been I've been here for six years and I sort of. Um, I just sort of built a career by accident where <laughs> my first job was like a salesy job. I made cold calls. Um, mm. I went on recruiting trips. It was like, it was totally not what I wanted to do. And I just kept asking for the kind of work I wanted to do. I just kept asking if I could, I was like, can I write articles? Can I edit emails? Can I write email campaigns? And just kept asking the question and somebody just kept saying yes until the point where I was I was the content that was the job. <laughs> yeah, that was my job. Yeah. And then that's awesome. At some point, I had to like have a sit down where I was like, "Can I stop doing the cold calls and stuff? And like, <laughs> can that not be my job anymore?" And so, and it's now led me to where I am now, which is at a different company doing a lot of the same work, but just being a specialist in in content, in making words that sell products, and and that's what I do now. I didn't realize that you had like basically created stuff. So when you were asking for work, was it like, was it like known that that needed to happen and people were just like, ah, who's going to do this? And you were like, me, please me. Or did you like completely fabricate everything? Like, hey, wouldn't it be nice (laughs) if someone, you know, could look at this from a new perspective and create an entire campaign with words that they're like, you know, good at using and actually studied and have a degree in? Wouldn't that be cool? It was a little bit of both because I was I was I wasn't completely doing the sales stuff. I was like a little bit working on email campaigns and things like that. But there was a lot of um I think there was a lot of uh in a creative field I think part of it is proving yourself and people want to know that like you you can do the work because there's no way to tell if somebody's a good writer until they're writing. Um you can't you can't really look at somebody's resume and see their history of writing and you won't know if they're a good writer until you read their writing and before you've written professionally you have nothing yeah and so you're just waiting for somebody to give you a project that you can just totally kill it on and once you do good work and people know you do good work then people come back <laughs> they go please please more of this please <laughs> um so it was a little bit of both a little bit of getting the work knocking it out of the park and then knowing that i could be like first choice when they needed I mean, it was a nonprofit, so there's never enough of anybody to do any of the work, which I think was not good for my mental health in the long term. But in the beginning of my career, when I was like trying to like put myself out there, great. provided some opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. They were probably like, please, for love of God, take it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm guessing then because it was a nonprofit, you probably didn't really get much resistance to the Kent, please give me more work. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Having now like left the nonprofit sphere. I have a lot of feelings about it, but as an early as a 22-year-old like trying to get into the industry and I think something really precious as a writer is clips um which is published work which is link, you know, having your name on a website. My name was actually never really on anything. I published under the pseudonym of the company, but you know, stuff that you've written that is 
alive and on the internet and reached a certain amount of audience. Yeah, you can build a portfolio. That's, that's invaluable. It's yeah. like the number one thing that jobs are asking for when you're applying. And so being at a place where there was more work than there were people to do it, and it was really easy to say, hey, can I write an article for our website about this? <laughs> and meeting no resistance and going like, yeah, sure, go for it. You know, <laughs> that was That's invaluable as a, as a resource to have as a young writer. What's particularly striking about this is I've heard this type of advice where people say, just ask for the kind of work that you want to get into. I've never personally done it. And it's probably a little bit contradictory for you and I, Tiffany, just because we are very by the job description people where we yeah. <laughs> we don't go all the time out of our way uh, to go above and beyond what's what we're expected to do. But it's nice and kind of reassuring to hear somebody's been successful in being able to do that it's probably not for everybody but i mean yeah. especially if you're trying to get into a competitive industry or an industry where you really need to build a portfolio and have that you know really concrete experience that you can't just like finesse in a conversation that's that's a big deal i would say yeah you kind of you really have to especially in these fields where you need you know because the first job is really hard to get because you need published work to get a job and yeah. you don't have any published work until you've had a job. And so you do have to finesse it a little bit. You do have to go in with a lot of confidence, which is hard to have. Mm -hmm. I think I am not a, I don't think of myself as a particularly confident person, but you have to, you have to go in with a little bit of like, you have to trust that your work is good enough that yeah. if you, if you ask for the project and someone gives it to you, that you're going to nail it. Um, and because that's the only way that, <laughs> you get to the next thing is by continuing to do it and getting better at it. And there's really no replacement for having work that gets published. It's just such a different standard than the stuff that you do on your own. I mean, I always recommend to writers to write as much as you possibly can, but there's no, there's no replacement for the level of polish and detail that you need to get on a website. <laughs> right. So you wouldn't just be able to use like personal projects or you know, the, that type of thing. I mean, I guess you could probably incorporate that into your experience, but it wouldn't be sufficient. But like that alone, alone isn't enough. Yeah. 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 I think okay. especially in the, in the job market, at least. Um, right. Right. I think there's totally value to writing things that nobody ever reads. I write plenty of work that nobody ever reads and that helps me. But I think you need to do that because I think creativity is sort of like a muscle. It has to get worked or it doesn't, you know, you need to write the stuff that nobody reads so that you're ready for the stuff that people do read. You know, you need to you need to keep working. I mean, it's the same way that, you know, athletes train off the field. They don't right. just do it all on the field. You have to do that training in which in a technical sense doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> like when the New York Knicks go into the practice facility, none of that matters towards the season. It does not affect their win loss numbers. It does not affect their playoff berth, but it has to happen to get to the stuff that happens on the court. And I think right. Any creative field is very, very similar i think if you only do the stuff that people see it won't be as good if you don't do the work outside of that which is very intimidating now that i'm thinking about it yeah well i was just thinking so like um as you were describing kind of like you know not being an overly confident person or not feeling that way about yourself but having to like kind of put up a front that you are for this moment when you need it do you have to do that for like every project or like everything that you're assigned because i do that when i like interview and I'm like, yeah, no, I am great at this. And you would be sad if you didn't have me. But I like am not like that as a person. And so after yeah. 
you know, the series of interviews is over, I can be like, okay, I can just be me. And then like my work will speak for itself (laughs) or like people will get to know me. And so I don't have to have that front on all the time unless I like maybe have a presentation here or there or something where I'm like, I have to feel good about going up and talking in front of people. But like, I can't imagine having to, to do that for like every project that I work on or every aspect of something that I'm assigned. So are you feeling that way like quite frequently or is it similar where it's like only for big things or only for trying to get a new job? Yeah, it's really only for the big things. And especially I think early career, it's more important to be like big upping yourself when you get to once you've gotten a little bit more settled and you have the work to back it up. You don't need to you don't need to, you know, you can just step back and let the work speak for itself. I have enough published work on the internet now that I no longer have to like big up myself because people can read my work. They can read my writing. And um, I think if I'm working on bigger projects, you definitely have to. And as an editor, you have to have a level of confidence of like (laughs) just being able to defend everything you do, every decision that you make, because people don't always like it when you edit their work. And you have to be you have to be confident enough that you can defend it. But I don't feel that way anymore. It was definitely it's definitely why it was intimidating to be in this field early in my career and now at the end of my life um I no longer I no longer feel at the end of my life I no longer feel that way I was like wait a minute (laughs) this is Denny's goodbye tour (laughs) yeah Yeah, I'm actually retiring after this I'll be in the dream yeah (laughs) yeah that is the dream um okay so Tell us a bit more about your Substack. I know that we talked about sort of like how it's completely unrelated to this isn't working, but also there's a lot of overlap as well. So tell us how you kind of um, came to that conclusion and and how you think we relate. Yeah, I think we, this podcast and my Substack, I think, share a particular ethos about the world, which is it's really scary out there. There is... A lot going on. There are book bannings. Venice is sinking. Like the oceans are rising. <laughs> you know, Paris is burning. And, <laughs> but there are these like fundamental survival things that we all still have to do. We all have to work and we all have to eat. And it can be so exhausting to think about that. I think when everything feels so crazy, I think it's really easy to get into a pattern of <laughs> just despair and the things that take up so much of our time like working and like cooking dinner for ourselves can become that much more monumental and I think we share a similar ethos of trying to understand and attack that feeling and find a way to make it make ourselves not feel that way like make it feel like like we can do these things we can um we can accomplish these and we can take some of it back for ourselves and find some joy and some humor and find a way to make it not feel like a monumental task, find a way to take a little bit of humanity back from the world that I think increasingly takes it away from us. And I sort of started the Substack as I think a lot of people, I've been posting about cooking on Instagram for years and people were always asking for recipes. Mm-hmm. I don't write recipes and I don't read recipes. That's not true. I read a lot of recipes. I don't cook a lot of recipes. Okay. I hate, I hate cooking by recipe. My mom never Are you did. A measure from the heart kind of person. Yeah. I mean, and also <laughs> I find so it just bold. so cumbersome to follow a recipe. 
I don't want to measure out all these like freaking little tablespoons and have to wash all. Of them. I was like, I get it. I don't, I don't care. And I also, I think it was an awakening of, I don't think cooking is all that complicated. And I think recipes often make it seem complicated. Yeah. <laughs> because mm-hmm. recipes are like, you have to add this much of the pepper and this much of the salt. I'm like, no, you don't. Like, live, <laughs> live, your, live your life. Put as much pepper on like your dinner as you want to. And I think it makes people think that it's a lot less approachable than I think it is. And I, my mom always, my mom never cooked by recipe. That was how I learned to cook. And I'm much more interested in technique than I am in like individual recipes. And I find it so cumbersome to have to like look up a recipe when I just want to make dinner. And I wanted to make something that felt like it was speaking to that population of people because I was talking to friends. A lot of people feel that way. A lot of people are like, I don't want to look at a recipe on a Wednesday night. I just want to, I just want to make food that tastes good and I can make in like a half an hour. (laughs) So I wanted to write something from that perspective of just like helping people feel more confident about themselves, about their cooking, about how, and just like taking the mystery out of it and like um, opening up about it. But it did turn into having these more weighty feelings and discussions about like, what does it mean to be in our world right now? And like having to cook dinner and like food is so layered and with culture and history and there's so much within it to talk about. And, um, and then I just sort of found myself writing whatever I wanted to um, in the world of food. My last newsletter just came out um, a little while ago. I wrote a long story about <laughs> trying to make a matzo ball soup broth that tasted like the box broth that my mom always bought, um, which was like, it, it's not a recipe because it, it was this, this sort of content that like doesn't feel like it has a place on like cooking on the internet. There's no recipe at the end of it. There's no real instruction to it. I don't really arrive at a specific conclusion. The point of it wasn't that. It was the point of like decoding it, figuring out why does the box broth taste so different and doing all of this research to figure out how can I get close to that while still doing it the way that I want to do it? And how can I talk about my own feelings about the mythos of home cooking and how it's not really like, (laughs) I was like, I don't know, does my mom make a really good soup? Yes. Does my mom make the best soup? I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> I think my mother and I would both agree on that. And <laughs> I was so going to say, does de- she listen? Because uh... <laughs> <laughs> we've already talked about it. So, okay. Um, <laughs> no secrets. I think it's, yeah, it was sort of like I wanted to write content that just didn't feel like it existed. That was just like, that wasn't about recipes and things like that. I know. And I wanted to, a sort of a joke of people are always complaining that, you know, when you Google a recipe and there's mm-hmm. like four paragraphs of preamble. Yes. This is exactly like... what I was thinking, except I don't want to skip yours. So I'm yeah. a subscriber. <laughs> and... and I was looking at it. I'm like, this is like the same kind of concept of, but, but in that sense, you're already going into it, like super stressed out because you're like, I have to read this stupid recipe and figure out potentially using a green I've never cooked with before and that sort of thing. So you're just like, let me get through this. Whereas <laughs> yours is more like, um, let's slow down for a moment and think about yeah. the actual food rather than focus on just the like the equation piece of it. Yeah, there is no recipe at the end. I think that was yeah. sort of the, the big joke is like, I do all of the preamble you get before the recipe <laughs> and then I don't give you a recipe. <laughs> and I've tried to be transparent. I think I have a lot, I have a couple of posts that say there is no recipe, like do not scroll. You will not find one. Um, you know, I, I wrote a long, um, uh, two months ago, I wrote a long article about 
beets, how to use them, how to cook with them. And I wrote right at the top, I was like, there is no recipe. You will not find a beet. <laughs> I actually did include a recipe on that one. That's actually not true. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but that was sort of the joke. If you did get to the bottom, you actually could find like a little recipe. But I was like, this isn't about recipes. This is about understanding a certain vegetable that you can incorporate into your own life and here's how to use it here's where it comes from here are all of the many many things you can do with it and there's no recipe but it gives you a tool that you maybe otherwise didn't have before because i think most of us would prefer to not have to look at a recipe before we make dinner most of us would prefer yeah. to be able to look at a bunch of ingredients and go what can i do with these things and i think you get that way through technique i don't think you get that through blindly following recipes every time you find them and i never mean to shit talk recipes and then i <laughs> i don't know if i can swear on your podcast but i yeah. never i never mean <laughs> yeah, to talk yeah. smack about a recipe but i <laughs> i always end up doing it and i actually have a lot of cookbooks for a person who does not like recipes. <laughs> cookbooks are a great gift for me i like to look at them i won't follow the recipes but i do like to look at them yeah you can still get ideas inspiration yeah. yeah 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 see what other people are doing see what things that people are combining that I never thought to, but I don't believe in like secret ingredients. I don't think cooking's complicated. I think, you know, they, when I was looking into chicken soup, I was like, they make it pretty much exactly the same everywhere in the world. Yeah. <laughs> There's no such thing as a secret ingredient to chicken soup. You could put different stuff in it, but like, I don't know, the idea of a secret ingredient makes people or secret recipes makes people think that like, it's all that complicated and it's not, um, you know, if you were to go to a restaurant and they're like, oh, this is our like secret recipe burger. <laughs> what did you do differently? <laughs> like, what did you do that has to be kept a secret that like more often than not, it's probably that they put like Worcestershire sauce in the beef or something. <laughs> like I was like, it's something stupid that other people have done before. Which is like um, the least secret ingredient in I was a like, burger. It's not, a yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not a secret. Like it's, it's marketing. Most <laughs> of what people think about cooking being difficult is just marketing by chefs to make it seem like it's complicated and inaccessible, which it, it's not. I think it's easier than people think it is. When Tiffany first sent your Substack to me, one, I was thinking that cooking, I think a lot of times when, so I cook, not necessarily very well, but most of the majority <laughs> of the meals that I consume, I've made in some capacity or put together. I don't like uh, eat out a ton or, you know, like use prepared meals super often. Um, that doesn't mean my cooking is very elaborate or anything like that. But I think before that, it was just like really intimidating. And so that's sort of what kind of intimidating, but also like I have to buy things like what if I buy this bag of whatever and I'm only going to use a, a portion of it and then the rest is going to go bad, that sort of thing. But I feel like using your beet example, it's helpful to know like what other things you could do with those things that from foods you already enjoy. And the other thing I noticed was you have an about section in your sub stack. What is your issue with bell peppers? I don't like them. Yeah. Um, I really just. That I don't was know. my only beef I don't with know. the Substack. Here's my thing. I I almost have beef with myself that I don't like red bell peppers. <laughs> They're such a ubiquitous food. I think everybody is entitled to a couple of foods that they just like don't like for no reason. For sure. Totally. But for most people, those foods are things that other people agree are really like you know some people don't like chicken lovers i like chicken lovers some people mm -hmm. don't but i get why people don't like chicken lovers when i tell people yeah. i hate red bell pepper with a passion they're like what's wrong with you i was like truly i don't know i just i cannot stand the taste if a bell pepper is in something i'm not like i don't cook with bell peppers at home if i go to your house and you've made a lovely dish that includes red bell peppers <laughs> i'm not going to like refuse it <laughs> Right, I'm not right, right. A, I'm not a monster, but <laughs> yeah. I, I will not be cooking with red bell peppers in my own 
home. I just don't like them. I really, I really wish I could tell you what I have beef with them about, but I, 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 I don't. I guess know. I get that. It's one of those things. Like I, I love cottage cheese, but when people tell me they hate it, I totally, totally get that one. I totally understand why people hate it. I was gonna give you a pass on the quinoa. I totally get that one, but oh, I love quinoa too. <laughs> I like it as well, but I saw I was like, okay, I can understand why people don't like quinoa. I'm a picky eater yeah. though, so like even though those are two things that I like, the bell peppers and um, the quinoa. I have probably a fairly lengthy list for an adult in her 30s of things that I'm like, "Mm, not for me. Yeah, I will eat anything else, like other than bell peppers and quinoa. They're the only things. I have a texture thing. So that's like chicken tender adults, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or like only chicken tenders and fries. Well, actually, one of the things that I really liked about your Substack and about this concept of, of, like kind of the the overlap of like these are things that we have to do to survive working eating but sometimes that's the uh, inspiration is just survival like in your last um newsletter i'm gonna forget the phrase so please feel free to pop in but like in defense of lazy meals or whatever struggle struggle meals struggle Struggle meals. meals thank you yes where it was like you know what sometimes you just like you just need fuel you need to not feel hungry and you don't want like a whole elaborate mess. But I actually use as some of my like a way to like wind down and get out of my own headspace. If I have some time, I will try a new recipe. And I am very like I follow a recipe to a T pretty much unless it includes an ingredient I don't care for. And then like I'll eliminate that if it's not going to be a huge deal. And then I'll kind of play with it. And I'm like, well, I want more x in this or in fact less of that or uh, my partner is incredibly picky and so when I'm cooking I'm typically cooking for two so I'll eliminate things or kind of play a little bit ahead of time but then I want to see like what's the baseline of this meal because a lot of times I'm cooking like way outside of my own culture and experience like a couple weeks ago we tried a hyderabadic curry and it was really great and we did uh, i made like nigerian inspired potatoes that were delightful uh but i was like "Mm, more peanuts in those like we love we love peanuts in a dish we're gonna do more so i like to i like to follow a totally wild recipe and kind of then tweak it as as we prefer but as far as like a starting point. I, I, I didn't grow up cooking and mm-hmm. I have a very basic like Midwestern white girl cooking culinary like experience <laughs> as my background. <laughs> <laughs> so in order to like try the fun new things that I want, I do have to like go acquire random ingredients from an international mm-hmm. market. And sometimes we like make a whole deal of that. I started making these Swedish cardamom buns recently. It's mm-hmm. like a cinnamon roll, but cardamom instead yeah. of cinnamon. Mm-hmm. They are amazing and amazing. <laughs> now they're like a regular thing that we do but i had to go find just cardamom seeds not pods because it wants mm-hmm. to like freshly grind not it. super easy to find yeah no it's yeah. just in a regular grocery store yeah yeah super tough but then when we found it in uh i don't know he, he went to an international grocery store he got like a whole like vacuum sealed pack of just like yeah. tons of them so like i can make thousands of swedish cardamom buns now <laughs> yeah exactly i think that's um because you can get most things you can get online now yeah but there is there is a certain appeal of hunting for an ingredient in a grocery store like or i quite like to go to a, a grocery store as an acti- like a specialty grocery store as an activity yeah there's a really great italian specialty grocery store that i like to go to i love an h mart which is a korean grocery store um i will go not to go shopping but just as like an activity of like yeah 
it's a fun wind down sort of thing for me of just looking at everything and just seeing what looks fresh, what looks weird, like what would be a fun thing to try and yeah, we do look that into too. and incorporate because you have to, sometimes you find ingredients and you're going to have to look them up because um, I think, although the <laughs> there's an H Martin Falls church where um, it's the one that I usually go to and they are not, they're not always weird. I have like looked at like leaves that I don't recognize and like taken a little bit to just like pop it in my mouth, just like see what we're working with or just like see what, I don't know the flavor profile is, but sometimes there's a there's a real fascination to like diving deep into something you've never seen before and then breaking it down and figuring out how to use it. Like that can be an activity in of itself. But you're right. And some sometimes you do have to like just eat food to get through things. Like you know, yeah. if I have a bad week, I mean, you know, we're all giving off of <laughs> vibes on Instagram and stuff about what we do and like how we cook and. I was like a friend was saying like oh you probably like don't eat like this kind of food I was like are you kidding <laughs> like I was like girl I've bought a frozen pizza before like it's like we're not we're not so different you and I <laughs> I like to eat good food and I know that like to do that I have to put in the work for it so I try to think of it more like having fun and experimenting but when I first started cooking as like an adult on my own I was really stressed out because I felt like if I didn't make a thing that was as good as I wanted it to be at the end like I'd failed and it's like well no because I learned and I still got food in most cases I didn't like burn it beyond all recognition and had to like order a pizza or whatever and now I find it far more relaxing even when it takes a long time with that curry it like that took a while and then I made flatbread with it as well and because I didn't know like how to time that to do it in like one setting I had Mm. to make like two separate dishes it took me like three hours and I was like exhausted by the (laughs) end but it was so good that I was like okay I would do that again but I would do it differently so that I don't have to stand in the kitchen for three hours but I definitely want to get I definitely want to eat that again so like I'm willing Mm -hmm. to to do that satisfying to get good at something I mean it's satisfying to do things you're good at and I think the process of getting good at something is also I think I have a problem where I don't like to be bad at things I get really discouraged when I'm bad at things learning a new language playing an instrument like I don't like to be but I think cooking was one of the places where I could really um I could really let go of that need to be good at something and just just try because um I didn't really because I didn't grow up in a like a foodie household my mother cooked she was good at it um but was it like you know I think because there's an in-between, right? Because you either have to, like, wax poetically about your mother's home cooking as, like, it was this, like, you know, she would go pick the oranges in the in the yard and, like, you know. You take love <laughs> like every it, bite. Or it's, like, my mom only ordered takeout. We never cooked at home. And I think most people's experience is probably something in the middle. My yeah. mother my mother mm-hmm. cooked. She took pride in it. She had a big recipe book. Um, she has an original Joy of Cooking cookbook that's like a prized possession. It's so cool. Love um, I love I love looking through it. She's got a huge binder full of like printed out recipes that she's written tons of notes on. But it's it's not like the best food I've ever had in my life wasn't necessarily my mom's cooking. My mom's cooking is special because it's my mom's. Right. You know? mm-hmm. It's special because it's it's imbued with her making it for me. Like that's the reason home cooking is so special, not because it was inherently superior my mother would tell you herself that like (laughs) she's she cooks because it's a thing she likes and she's pretty good at it and but doesn't think too she doesn't think too much about it you know she just she just does it because that's what you do yeah um when you're a boomer woman and you know like that's that's what you do and um it's part of I think that was the perspective of cooking I had was like this is an 
enjoyable thing that we can enjoy, but it's also like a thing we need to do. It's also a thing that's just part of life and we don't have to like overly romanticize it for it to be a joyful activity. Like, and we don't need to make it all that complicated. One of my favorite food memories was making Anytime there was like a thunderstorm, we had a gas stove. And so if the power went out, you could still use the gas stove. So we would make Kraft Mac and cheese because that was still a thing that you could do. And that's not like the food itself was not special, but it's one of my favorite like food memories was like being in the kitchen with the with the uh, the candles and like with the big bowl. And like, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. something special to me. And I think I wanted to capture that idea of cooking of, you know, the activity itself can be joyful. You don't need to like. You don't need to make it that complicated for it to bring you happiness. As a side note, that's how I feel about everyone's grandmother when they're like, my grandmother's the best cook in the world. It's like, <laughs> she's probably not. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, the be- it's the best because she loves you. Like, right. Which say, is my, wonderful. My grandma's but... a good cook, but I don't, she's probably not the best in the world. I mean, yeah. she's Irish, so it's like, there's only so many flavors there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you can only, you can only... D- discover the evolution of butter and salt and stuff so far. You know? <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about this already just kind of throughout, but how do you balance your work creativity with your personal creativity? It's clear that you are highly engaged in both um, on a daily basis. So how, how do you strike that balance? And why is that important to you? It can be hard because I think when you when your when your work includes the thing that you also like to do as a hobby it's easy to get burnt out because you're doing it so much at work and it's easy to lose like like i said creativity is a muscle and it can get <laughs> it can get worn out pretty quickly and how do you cuz you need to have a reservoir of creativity to get through the workday and i think it's thinking of them as very as cuz they both take work And it's hard to balance having the energy to do it at work and then to do it on your own. Um, I think part of it was um, figuring out how they they were different and figuring out how the creativity that was required for my job was different than the creativity that was required for the writing that I do at home. But I think a part of it is just making time for it. It is being really... I think you you can look this up. Writers, like famous writers, all had like really bizarre schedules that they kept. And because I think people think creativity and inspiration just, you know, writers, we just we just sit in trees and (laughs) grapes and we wait for it to come to us. And you cannot live your life that way if you if you are a creative at especially at your job, you know, you can't sit around and wait for the inspiration for for an email campaign to come to you because (laughs) an email campaign has to get written. And so sometimes it comes more naturally than others. And I think accepting the ebb and flow of it is really important because sometimes it does take a lot of work to get stuff on the paper. I think people wonder like, how long can it take to write five emails that are like 200 words each? And you would be surprised because <laughs> it's it's not easy getting a lot of information out really quickly and in a way that makes people not want to turn the email off. And sometimes it happens really naturally. Sometimes you're like ready to go. You sit down and you're like, I know what these emails are going to say. I know how I want to write it. I know how I want to phrase it. And you can be done in an hour. And sometimes the creativity is not there. The inspiration is not there. And you need to sit there and just write it over and over and over again until it comes. That's a common practice. I think I've talked to other writers. A lot of them do this is when you don't know what to write. Sometimes the best thing to do is to just start writing and just keep writing until (laughs) 
until you found it, until you found the thing that you need to say. And on those days, it can be really easy to get to the end of the day and be like, I can't, I can't, I can't do words right now. <laughs> like, I, I simply cannot. And knowing that that's going to happen and accepting that that's going to happen, I think was really important for me and not trying to force it when it didn't need to be. Cause you can, if you try to do too much, you can burn yourself out of both and then you can be really ineffective at both. And finding ways to recharge the creative batteries is, um, I think reading is like, Every writer will tell you this, like reading is a great way to get better at writing and to recharge the batteries. I think for me in particular, I read writers that the writers I love who make me want to be a better writer, like when I read their work, I'm like, damn, like the writers that make my jaw drop with how good their work is and reading that stuff. Um, like I don't read anything new. If I feel really creatively burnt out, I will pick up something I've already read. Um, oh, yeah, sure. And like look through it and read the writers that I know are amazing and I know that I love and <laughs> that is always enough to make me go like okay like you know it's sort of it's, it resets something and I don't really I can't really explain it but I pick up the work of writers that mean something to me and it just it it reactivates something and I think it's the act of just letting someone else do the words for you yeah and letting someone else do the words for you really really well it's like okay it, it just like demystifies it I think it can get intimidating and overwhelming and then you read really good writing that feels that feels really good that comes that you know does all the things that good writing does it just like wakes it just like wakes you back up creatively and just taking the time to do that it can feel really hard to like sit down and read after you've spent all day like looking at words but yeah it always works it never has not worked <laughs> who are some of your like go-to authors or like some of your like comfort return to this kind of Sean and I have talked about like comfort shows when we felt like I was gonna say the same kind of ideas it's the same yeah. idea yeah people yeah. Watch, yeah. rewatching The Office 18 times right yeah. yeah so what are some of your comfort books if you don't mind sharing or comfort um, materials I don't know if they're all books yeah <laughs> Flannery O'Connor's short stories are always um if you went to public school in the U.S. you probably read A Good Man is Hard to Find that's a Flannery O'Connor um, the one about the serial killer, like killing a family. It's her books. Her work is actually very dark, which is a it's a weird thing to say as like my comfort reads. Yeah. O'Connor because her work is extremely dark. I mean, it's there's just, people out here listening to serial killer. Podcasts, yeah, I was going to so right. say good. in the age it's of like true crime. That actually. Guilt. Yeah. Yeah. Flannery O'Connor's like Catholic guilt and like musings oh, of God. death. And like, I'm like, I was like, give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Flannery O'Connor, um, Tony Morrison. I read a lot. Mm -hmm. Um. Carmen Maria Machado, she is a, her body and other parties is a great collection of short stories that um, I really like short story collections is that purpose just because I can read like one and not have to be emboldened to reading an entire book yeah. to get out of a creative slump. I can just read, I can just crack open um, one of Flynn O'Connor's short story collections and I can just read one of the stories that I really like and then get back into what I want to do. Or I will go to the movies a lot. I go to the movies a lot. Um, I don't know what it is, but like the good writing in a movie always like makes me feel good. I read a lot of movie scripts. I like reading screenplays. Um, I don't know why. There's just something about reading them that's just really enjoyable just because you never half of the writing in a screenplay is not on the screen. But in the best mm. movies, yes, it is. Like I just recently read the script for The Godfather and there's so much between all of the dialogue that is not on the screen, like instructions for the actors. And like, <laughs> it's not in the movie, but it is. And that's really, 
satisfying. But mostly reading reading books is um, just because it's quiet. It's not looking at a screen, <laughs> you know. So so reading good writing can kind of recharge your batteries. Uh, do you ever search the deepest, darkest corners of the internet for the most appalling fanfic to be like, ah, I am such a good writer, like for an ego boost. <laughs> I really did because um, I recently wanted to get into reading like outside of my, I don't want to call it my comfort zone, but what I usually read. And I picked up, um, I've started reading like r- cheesy romance novels. Like I'm picturing the cover of one of them and it's the cover you've seen. Like when you go to the airport and there's like a little display of books Yes. and there's a cover of like a man Fabio. with real, a man with really long yeah. hair and <laughs> his like shirt is, his shirt is kind of open and there's like yes. a lady like, you know, touching him gently. And I started reading books with covers like that, <laughs> thinking that that was what was going to happen. Like thinking I was going to be like, I'm such a good writer. And I was engrossed <laughs> by every single one of these books, every really? single one of these books. I was like, hell yeah. I love this. <laughs> I was I was so surprised by how much I enjoyed it. And it was sort of like when I was thinking of my thing about struggle meals and like, yeah, I mean, some of this, you know, I get it. Like, I get why people read books like this, because like this is genuinely really enjoyable. Um, and I expected to it was a real like it was a real humbling moment. Of <laughs> I expected to read them like thinking like man, I'm really glad I don't write like this. But I'm like, man, I wish I could write like this. I wish I could I wish I could write with this kind of it's such a different kind of writing. It's so immediate and so upfront and so and like so bold and it's just somebody writing with no care in the world for how cheesy it is. And I was like, heck yeah. So I I really recommend that. If you're ever in a reading slump, just like get outside of your comfort zone and just be surprised. Pick up a book that you would never pick up and it's like the feeling of you know i think most people who write for a living are very talented um i think about that a lot like when you watch tv commercials i was like that person probably like went to acting school and like you know was probably in othello at some point in their life you know and here they are in a commercial and it's like all of these people are really talented and um so you know you think you look down on the cheesy romance novels I'm like that's a professional writer too that's yeah. a person who probably works just as hard as i do and thinks just as deeply about what they do and it's totally egotistical to think you're the only person in the world <laughs> who who has noticed this who is and that there's lots of talented talent out there and it would be overwhelming to try and consume all of it and so it's nice to know that you know it, you're not writers can get very it's very isolating sometimes being a writer and it's nice to know that like you're not the only one out there that you know thinks about this stuff and has these issues of you know having to balance creativity and stuff like that i think there's something to be said for not to say call it a guilty pleasure type material but i definitely get the perspective like going into something thinking like this is either gonna be trash or like i'm way better than this it's like when you listen to like a, a pop album that's actually like really good or yeah. Yeah. you go you watch a tv show that like is just te- you know it's going to be terrible but you love it anyways i have several of those oh yeah um and or like anything on tlc any reality tv show and you're like why this is so good kind of thing you know yeah. i give people a pass for that sort of stuff because sometimes you need that mindless ish type perspective um to kind of recharge and it also gets you out of your comfort zone because if you're really into say like nonfiction, for example and you start reading like what you expect to be trashy romance novels and all of a sudden they're pretty dope um yeah you know it gives you a new perspective on your own writing and the own your own work really mm-hmm. 
Yeah, totally. It's awesome. I think all media has its purpose and its role yeah. in our lives, you know. It's That's it's a good silly. way to describe it's, it. It's silly to think that like that Love Island has done as much for me as a person as my favorite movie ever, which is in the movie for Love. You know, <laughs> if you're thinking about them, they could not be more different. Like the idea of them, the concept of them, but I think they have both they both mean something to me in a very different way. And they yeah, both yeah. I think they're both equally valid in my life and I'm allowed to like both of them. And I think, you know, especially when I was younger, I probably wouldn't have said that. I probably would have pretended not to like Right, Love Island, right. but I'm like, I genuinely enjoy watching Love Island, and I don't care who knows it at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that there's um, there's definitely a stigma around like entertainment like that, like you know, quote unquote, like trashier kind of entertainment. I I don't personally watch a ton of that, partly because I've I find some of those like reality drama type things to be like stressful, and then I'm like, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> So I don't I don't watch a ton of that. But the more I hear about like, you know, people who like women who are like astrophysicists and they're like sitting down on the weekends and catching up on Bravo or whatever. I'm like, there must be something to this. Like, it's not, <laughs> yeah. like my way of like disengaging. Yeah. Um, I but I do like have, drama. Yeah, I guess. Not necessarily um, to be involved in it, but they like to like stand watch on the sidelines. Yeah. And watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even if it's scripted or fake or whatever, it's just there's yeah, something and they don't about care, like, conflict. How authentic it is necessarily or like what the fabricated uh conflicts versus you know the 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 kernels of truth are really and i again i, I don't really watch those things because I, I i personally find them too stressful because <laughs> i'm like oh you're making bad choices but <laughs> um that maybe that's just me yeah. so i have also like gained a new respect for that category of entertainment in the last couple of years as i've heard like more people that I like really admire, really respect that do really good work mm -hmm. that I think are really great that are contributing positively to the society, which is absolutely necessary as we talked about at the top, because it is crumpling around us engaging in that. Whereas I was like, Oh, I just thought that this was like really trashy, but there, like there's something to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all escapism equally, you know, Yeah, like the headiest, most intellectually and psychologically deep film you can think of. I think is just as much a work of escapism as Love Island is, like because mm. I think you <laughs> the places you escape to are different, but they're both taking you out of the world and giving you another way of looking at it, you know. Yeah, and I think neither invalidates the other. You know, <laughs> we're allowed to have all of the. I mean, the world is at our fingertips. We have everything we could ever want, and. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make sense to arbitrarily decide like, oh, I can't watch Love Island because it wouldn't like fit the that was really why I wanted to write about like struggle meals because I was like, mm -hmm. you know, people give perceptions of you on social media and um, and it's you want to think like they they have to know that it's all like, <laughs> but it's real to a certain extent. And I was I was so taken aback by a friend thinking that like I would have looked down on a, a choice she was making and I was it made me so upset that I was like I was giving off this impression that wasn't yeah. that wasn't true and I, I you know you always think like people who engage with you on the internet know that there's more to you than the thing but how you know what it's you can't expect them to know what more and um I think I feel that way at work too I mean you know your colleagues probably have a very narrow idea of what you look like 
outside yeah. of work and you know people get impressions like of you yeah. <laughs> i was like yeah they all think i'm like super cool and really funny and yeah <laughs> super put together like yeah well because they only see your work and it's such a it's a part of who you are it's not all of who you are and um you know and i think you only have such it's it's weird these people you spend a lot of time with probably have a very narrow perception of you not an incorrect one not a bad one but just a narrow limited yeah right right i think that um in Sean, I don't, I don't know how much you've experienced of this, but particularly the the role that I have now and the team that I have now, we have definitely like broken down a lot of that because we spent two weeks traveling together across South Asia. And so <laughs> like a lot of your like personal self comes out in travel and yeah. just with like oh, spending yeah. so much additional casual time together mm-hmm. and like sitting on a plane next to each other for 15 hours straight like you're gonna you're gonna mm-hmm. find some stuff out so <laughs> but um normally yes I am uh, when Sean and I worked together I was very like I had my work thing and that's probably part of why like we weren't friends until like the very end of our time <laughs> yeah, working right. together until we our trauma only, bond yeah showing like what was acceptable in that space and and to a certain extent neither of us fit very well in it yeah no i i would agree i don't know i don't know it's a little bit different because we work remote roles now as well so literally people have a very two three-dimensional view of my life so um there's only so much that they can really see and experience um and you can be a little bit more selective and and we've talked about this before just kind of like uh kind of like compartmentalize your yourself a bit so you can and once the Zoom call ends, you can let the, the veil down a bit. I prefer it as well. You know, I yeah. like to really have a distinct line. I think maybe it's because I'm kind of an introverted person in general. So I, I don't really like to blur different aspects of my life because, I mean, not that I'm like a different person in different areas, but we emphasize different parts of ourselves when we're around right. different types of people. So <laughs> I think I just have a weird thing about all of that blurring together and maybe everyone's seeing who I am as a real person. Not to get like darker or grim there, but that's just how I, I that's how I, I brought up, work. I brought up Flannery O'Connor, so it's kind of only fair. 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 <laughs> sort of related to that, Denny, what do you think and I'm just curious about your perspective because you work in a different industry. Um, what, what isn't working podcast name about work right now <laughs> in your industry? And we had also asked the follow-up question, like, how should we make work work again? Um, given the, the connotations of, of that particular phrasing, we'll just yeah, skip I feel like that, Emily, do you want to edit that particular phrase? <laughs> yeah. And you could rewrite no, it. Not to ask no, you to like, like work right now, but like, if you could... <laughs> No, I as a person who deeply loves grammar, I also quite love bad grammar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I quite like when things kind of don't work. It's one of my favorite features of English is that you can put words together in a way that doesn't quite work but still makes sense. Yeah. Like I'm a believer that the most important thing in a sentence is that it makes sense, you know. Um stuff the actual rules. Like often the rules can help you find the building blocks mm-hmm. and make things make sense, but you know, as long as it makes sense, you know. 
Um, who cares if it's a fragment or whatever? Right, um, right. I don't care about that particularly. Um, most great writers don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you gotta something, something. You gotta know the rules or break the rules or whatever. But like, yeah, I don't know. I know the rules. I have read the AP style guide. Like, mm. you know, I'm allowed. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. I think the thing not working about work right now is how much we work. I really mm. genuinely think okay. it's. Um, obviously, it's not a new idea. The forty hour work week is such a. <laughs> Uh, antiquated idea yeah it's most it's mostly arbitrary um and i think because sean you were talking about work-life balance and i Mm -hmm. very recently in my life started thinking of it as a blend because i think the idea that work is this separate thing from my regular life was something that was making me so it was making my life so much harder to like try Mm -hmm. and see it as separate because it's part of my life i spend 40 hours of my day of my week at work Mm -hmm. and I spend more time with a lot of my colleagues than I do with like my very deep intimate friendships in my life you know I had more FaceTime with my boss this week than I did with probably my best friend in the whole world and so um I think it's a weird I you know I think when I started in my career it was you know the thing I was always told was you have to be professional like you have to dress Mm -hmm. a certain way you have to act a certain way and I was like, gosh, it's so boring to be professional. <laughs> and if I'm going to spend all day here, I have to find a way to make this more enjoyable. And I think I just very slowly was like, I was like, I, why shouldn't I enjoy myself? <laughs> like, why shouldn't I make friends and have fun? And um, I met some of my best friends in the world at my first job. I think our friendships really took off when the job ended but you know they're the people i rely on the most in my life currently are people i met at my job and and that was sort of the moment where i was like this is a part of my life as opposed to something separate from my life i try not to give too much of myself to work because i want to hold back some for myself but i'm like this is this is part of my life it's especially now that we all work from home and it's like physically in our homes and yeah but Mm -hmm. i I do i do think americans in general work too much and put too much pride in working too much and i think i know that as a writer i think and as an editor i've told lots of bosses this but i think (laughs) if i spend too much time with a project i will actively begin to harm it at a certain point (laughs) like like if if i am spending if you give me too long with a piece and you don't like take it away from me when i tell you it's done um it will get worse you know um i feel i do the same i do the same in cooking sometimes if i don't like decide i was like no like this is good it doesn't need anything else i will add things to it and probably ruin it (laughs) and i feel the way about work i think 40 hours is too long i think it's like it's taking too much of us like why did we make all these technological advancements to just not change at all to not make our lives in any way measurably easier (laughs) than working less and I know it's easier said than done, but I think if we worked less, we'd all be happier. But I would make work work again by telling people they don't need to be so, I think, shedding these, like, arbitrary ideas of professionalism. Like, you should be able Mm -hmm. to be a human being at work. You should be able to act like a human being. You should be able to behave like a human being. Like, my new, I recently started at this job, and I was so surprised that people were swearing on Zoom calls. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like... And I was so taken aback, but I was like, why am I taken aback? Like, these are words in yeah. human vocabulary. And if my boss wants to get on a call with me and say, like, we got a lot of shit to deal with today, she should be allowed to say that. Like, yeah. you know, just because we're at a workplace, like, you know, 
we're human beings like and i think it, it demystifies everything it helps us all understand each other's people you know totally um especially now that we're all working with each other through screens it's so much more important than ever to understand the humanity of all of the people we work with and understand that we all have like um lives we all have mm -hmm. people in our lives <laughs> that love us we all have interests outside of our work and it doesn't make any sense to me that like we would decide arbitrarily like that we can't talk about those things we can't behave that way like people are like oh you shouldn't like bring up like what you do like to do outside of work with your boss i was like why shouldn't i, I have a colleague that's mm -hmm. really into ceramics and he yeah. shows us his new pieces sometimes and i think that's really nice that's like nice. i think that's really he like he's like I'm, i just made this mug and i'll have it on a call and um I think it's really important to understand the humanity of the people you work with and especially in like creative fields, like where we're all looking at each other's work. And mm -hmm. um, it's like, especially as an editor, I think the best skill an editor can have is empathy. I think good editors are confident and empathetic. And I think you can be a really good editor with just confidence, but you will not be a likable editor if you don't have any <laughs> empathy. Um, people will not like working with you if you don't have empathy, I think. I think of editing as a process of helping somebody else write what they want to write. And I think a lot of people look at editors as you want me to write what you want me to write. Mm -hmm. Like, like people look at editing as like, you're going to change things. You're going to make it different. And I'm like, I want you to write the piece that you want to write in my perfect world. It doesn't always pan out, but I think um, having empathy and humanity for colleagues, I think is how we make work work again is acting like people at our jobs and not professionals. Like. I feel like it's a, a really healthy way to describe work-life balance, like being able to be some of who you are authentically without giving everything away. That's a good point. You know, like I definitely work with people who swear and, you know, are, they might be holding a kid on a call because, you know, childcare fell through, whatever the case may be. And yeah. you know, I think that that's okay as well. I think sometimes because... I'm a single person with no kids and very little going on in my home when I'm at work besides a, an 85 pound dog that sleeps most of the time. Um, <laughs> sometimes like those natural moments don't always sort of slip through. Um, yeah. But I feel like you've described it in a really healthy way where it's okay to kind of be yourself within reason, obviously, like you don't want to give everything away. But yeah, that's a much healthier way to describe it than, than probably anything that I could come up with. <laughs> you know, it's all right. I, it's, it's how I think of it more romantically than I think. It doesn't always pan out, you know. Sure, sure. Life, yeah. life, life is hard. Sometimes um, I don't want to turn on my camera or show my authentic self to anyone. For sure. My authentic Sometimes self you work is a with people weird. who suck. Yeah, some, pe <laughs> some people suck. My authentic self is a little weird. Like some of it we don't really need to talk about on. <laughs> like I was like, some, For of sure. it, some of it my colleagues don't need to see. But I think especially like as a young woman, I think people really drill in this idea that like as a young woman, like yeah. you have to be, you have to present a certain way or the men will right. take you seriously. And like, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> I do not need to be taken seriously by men. If men don't want to take me seriously, that is their problem, their not problem. mine. <laughs> you guys definitely have some additional layers of complexity there that that's simply gender based. Um, yeah. And like perceptions and all so that sort of fun. thing, which we've kind of talked about. Yeah, lucky you guys. <laughs> Something else to worry about in this this life as the world burns. <laughs> uh, yeah, as if there yeah. weren't enough. Well, I think that kind of covers it. Thank wow. you, Denny, so much for this was really a pleasure. Thank you so much, so so much for having me. I'm, I'm really thrilled. It was such a delight, and I I mean I'm just like captivated by all the things 
that are so different about the work that we've done, which is especially yeah. like noteworthy, I feel like, because we have worked together. <laughs> but it's just like yeah. two totally different concepts. I could talk to you forever about this. So we'll have to yeah. have you back on sometime <laughs> to share more thoughts and experiences. Yeah. Everyone remember to give This Isn't Working a follow on Instagram and TikTok at NotWorkingPod. Be sure to check out any Substack, Food for Humans, um, any other place that um, listeners can find you or any other instructions you have. I'm currently... Um off of instagram at the moment but i will be i'll probably be back you should follow me on instagram it's mother.time time is in the herb um oh. you can follow mm. me on instagram i might be back on there i was recently uh twitter is my preferred uh social media but i was hacked out about a month ago and it actually looks like my account has been deleted so um, <laughs> so but i don't know um if i'm you know but yeah you can find me on instagram and but my Substack is definitely if you want to hear more about my thoughts about food and eating in the current world and also don't want to read any recipes, um, you can go to my Substack because you can <laughs> find them. Um, it's foodforhumans.substack.com. Excellent. We'll uh, we'll link to that in the episode notes yeah. and also your Instagram handle just in case uh, for when you <laughs> Just in return. case I go back. <laughs> <laughs> and we will continue to not read recipes from you, but read about being a human and having to feed ourselves on a regular basis, which can be stressful, but should be more enjoyable. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I really had a great time. I can't wait to keep being uh your number one fan yes <laughs> i'm, I'm, cla I'm claiming you. the i'm claiming the title if any other fans want to show want to bring their receipts with their spotify wrapped um i'll be waiting yeah she, I'd she like does to see have that. a uh, a screenshot this this it's was a true. moment for us that we shared so she's denny's got it's receipts true. uh if anyone wants to try to <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.